Welcome back to After the Last Page. My name is Jackie and I review books. If you were here last season, I talked about some of the different books I read every week, which ones I enjoyed and which ones I didn't. And if you're new here, basically I go through a synopsis each week and then I review that book and I tell you what I thought of it. Now, every week I read a different book and the genre varies. However, in this season, because we have new technology, new resources available, I am going to be changing things up. And that means that with each episode, I am going to be talking about more than one book. So that might mean that I will go in a little bit less detail, but don't worry because I also have a blog after the last page.com. And if you want to read more about the book or you want to read my full review after reading it yourself, awesome. You can go check out the post on my blog and there's different places where you can comment there and you can tell me all about it. Now, if you're not familiar with blogging, um, basically I have this website where we can start a discussion and talk about the book in more detail. So basically, as much as I love these podcasts, my goal here is to be able to connect with you. And I want to talk about the book after I finish it. So I think sometimes it's difficult because I want to talk about things that might come off as spoilers to someone who hasn't read it before. And that can be a little bit of a challenge. But don't worry, in today's episode, um, because we've taken a little bit of a hiatus here, I am going to be talking about all of the books that I've read lately, and I won't be spoiling them, so you can definitely check these out for yourself if you'd like, or if you've already read them and you just want to hear my thoughts on them, you're more than welcome to stay for that too. So let's get into it. All right, so I think I'm going to start this off by kind of talking about books that I ended August with and go from there because unfortunately I haven't been reading as much as I kind of expected to be reading. I got in a book slump last month and it kind of really damaged me so much. I don't know. I mean, okay, so my goal for this year was to hit 50 books. I wanted to read 50 books. Last year, I read 60 books, and I have a little bit more going on this year, so I was like, eh, I think 50 will be a good number. Well, I hit 50 a little bit faster than I expected, and when I hit that 50th book, I I don't know. It's almost like it just hit me that I hit my goal so fast, and instead of like I mean, realistically, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, well, I can just increase the goal, right? Because you can do that. I mean, you can do it through Goodreads. And even if it wasn't through Goodreads, who cares? Like, no one knows except me, I guess. But um, yeah, I hit this goal and I just had like some sort of mental block that like I couldn't read anymore. I don't know. Like, I wanted to read, but whenever I sat down with a book, I just couldn't get into it. It's like, okay, I was done. So it took a little bit for me to get out of that like book slump mental block. And I think part of that had to do with the incredible books that I read in August. So I think that that's kind of where that comes from. I'm not entirely sure, but I've slowed down a little bit recently and I'm now at, I'm in the middle of book 54 
So I have hit that goal already. And I think I'm kind of going to shoot for 75, honestly. I mean, I'm probably going to hit 60 by the end of this month. I know I'm going to slow down a little bit next month, but I mean, realistically, could I do 10 more books in a year? I mean, I read nine books a month. On average, I've gone like, I would say eight to 12 books per month. So I read nine books in August and I think I read, I want to say six in September. So I honestly think I could do it. I could hit 75 and I feel like I'd be proud of myself for doing that and really... I guess maybe the book slump would just be part of the journey. I don't know. I mean, what do you do when you're in a book slump? I think sometimes sometimes when I'm in a book slump, like it goes on much longer than it really should because I just like can't get into anything. So I totally forgo books altogether and I end up like in my sewing room or like taking on some other activity instead of books. And I always have this hole in my life, like I'm missing reading, but at the same time, like I can't fill it. You know what I mean? So honestly, I'd like to know what you guys do during a book slump. Is there like a way to cure it? Because I haven't found one and I've been reading for like, I don't know, as long as I can remember. Now, honestly, like the last couple years, I've been reading way more than I have in past years. And I think a lot of that has to do with all the awesome books that came out in 2020. I feel like there's so many more authors that are publishing debuts. I feel like the authors that have published in the past are changing what they're writing. And I don't know if it's just like the pandemic because so many people were stuck at home and now they've kind of shifted to staying at home. I'm not really sure. But I'm finding all these new books that I'm just absolutely enthralled with. I really enjoy them. So with that being said, I kind of want to start this off by talking about the book that I am most excited to talk about. And this is a book that came across my radar actually from book pages. So I work at a library and we get this magazine every month and it's called Book Pages. You might have heard of them. And we get free copies that we give out to our patrons that they're free for everybody And basically, it talks about all of the books that are going to be coming out, the books that have come out, and kind of what's new and noteworthy. And a lot of times, they pick popular titles, but they'll also pick titles from new authors or from authors that really aren't trending yet. And I think part of the reason for this is to gain more buzz for that book. So I found this particular book from one of those magazines. And I was just so impressed with the write-up for it that I added it to my list, I ordered it, and I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to read this. And then it came, and I totally forgot about it. Like, I totally, totally forgot. And when it came, I was like, ooh, okay, this sounds really good. But I had, like, a whole list of other books I was supposed to be reading. So I was just going to put it to the side, but I wanted to read the first couple pages anyway, just to check it out because I was curious. It wasn't a book that was in my normal genre. And you might be thinking, okay, Jackie, what is this book? Because honestly, I would be too. This book, I, I don't know why it's not more hyped up. So the book I'm talking about is The Book of Gothel by Mary McMinn. This book just came out in August, I believe. 
or maybe June. Okay, it came out in July. It came out at the very end of July of this year. And it's soft fantasy, which is not my genre by any means. I mostly read romance and sometimes genre fiction. However, um, something about this book just called to me. And to this day, even on Goodreads, it still only has less than 400 reviews and like less than 1,200 ratings overall. And I don't understand it. I don't get it. So the book is basically about Rapunzel's witch. So everybody knows the witch that took Rapunzel, right? That's Gothel. But we don't really know her story. So this particular book, it explores the story of the witch who supposedly put Rapunzel in her tower. So this author, this is actually a debut novel, which I am so shocked by this debut, really, honestly. It is incredible. So the book is kind of like historical. It takes place in the 1100s in Germany. And this young girl named Hale Wise, um, she lives with her parents. She's an only child and she's got some strange features. She doesn't really fit into town. And she has these weird fainting spells and it kind of convinces the town that she's a witch because it was so uncommon at that time. I mean, I guess sickly people weren't very welcomed. I don't know. I'm not really familiar with the 1100s. But basically, she was shunned by her village. So she spends a lot of time with her mother who gardens and makes dolls. And she tells her of all these stories about witches and princes that wear wolfskins and an ancient tower in the forest. But she doesn't expect any of these things really to be real. And then her mother dies and her father leaves her. So she's got nothing left, like absolutely nothing. She doesn't even know how to find food. The town has basically shunned her. So with nowhere to go, she decides to escape the village and look for this legendary tower that her mother told her stories of. And this place is called Gothel, where there's supposedly a wise woman witch. So she ventures out into this forest and she finds that the tower does exist and she's hoping that the witch will allow her to seek refuge there. But things aren't really as easy as she thinks that they'll be. There's a lot of danger involved. There's a lot of adventure. There's princes, there's princesses, there's magic, there's spells, and there's realms. So this book, one of the things that I loved so much about it and it's interesting to me because this book was compared to Circe and The Wolf and the Woodsman. And I don't really think that it felt like either one of those books. Honestly, this book felt like something in its own category. And it kind of reminded me of when I was little. My mom used to read to me Celtic folklore. And my background is Irish. So, I mean, these were stories that my grandparents, you know, bought storybooks of for me and my brother. And I don't know, we used to learn about uh, like Kelpies and different creatures in Celtic folklore. And these stories, they were just absolutely enthralling. Like you could so easily get sucked into them. And that's what this book was for me. It was like a storybook for kids, but it was for adults, like a storybook for adults. And it didn't have a particular like amount of spice to it. It wasn't, like, adult content, you know, like some books are. And I even think, like, I don't know, maybe even teenagers would enjoy this book. 
But overall, it felt like a storybook that was written for the older generation, for people who still want to be kids but don't read YA anymore, you know? So I kind of felt like it helped me get in touch with that inner child. But at the same time, it was so enthralling and so interesting. So I decided to rate this book four and a half stars. And the only reason why it didn't get that extra half star for me was because I did not love how it ended. The ending for me was a little bit unexpected. I really honestly thought that it would end differently. Hillwise is extremely independent in this story. And really, honestly, the whole plot is about her gaining autonomy. You know, she's escaping from this entire society that has made her weak and vulnerable. And she's turning into this strong, you know, willed creature who is you know, trying to help other people and trying out magic. And she had this ending that I felt like she didn't really deserve. I thought she deserved an ending that was stronger. So that's why I rated this book four and a half stars. I absolutely loved it. And honestly, I would 100% recommend this, even if you're not a fantasy reader, because I certainly am not a fantasy reader. But it just, it really captured me. So if you're looking for something for spooky season, the cover in this one is like really autumnal. Is that a word? Autumnal? I think so. It's very fall-ish. So if you're looking for a book like that, that's definitely a good option. So on that note, I want to talk about another book that is supposedly Cersei-inspired. So the next book I want to talk about is The Witch's Heart. Now this one I read this past month in September and The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gornacek. I believe her last name is Gornacek. Um, it is also a debut novel, I believe. I want to say it is. Let me look in the back of the book here. Yeah, The Witch's Heart is her debut novel. So The Witch's Heart is also compared to Cersei and this one I do feel fits the comparison a little bit more than the Book of Gothel. So this book in particular is about Norse mythology, and it is about a witch with a similar story to Circe. So in The Witch's Heart, basically the story begins with a old, old witch, and most witches' tales end with a burning, but that is where the story starts. So the witch in the story is being burned at the stake. Not once, not twice, but three times. So injured and powerless, burned at the stake by Odin, she flees to the farthest part of the forest that she can find. And her skin is like burned beyond repair. She has to heal. And my understanding is, is that she's pretty much immortal. Um, I think maybe she could be killed like, but I think she has to be killed like she doesn't age. At least that's my understanding. So basically she goes out to the forest and she's been stabbed in the heart. Yeah, I forgot to mention that part too. I mean, like, how could she still be alive if she wasn't immortal, right? So she's stabbed in the heart and I guess Odin takes her heart. So she goes to the forest. She has no heart. She's burned alive. And she tries to seek refuge there. And then a man approaches her. And this man just so happens to be Loki who has her heart with a hole in it. Yeah. 
So super confusing. Um, but all this happens and, you know, the most notable thing to do would be to, you know, put a spell on him, make him forget, send him away, right? No. Angerboda falls in love with him, of course, because that is how mythology goes. And they have some children. Now, the book, on the back of the book, it tells us that she produces three unusual children. However, what it does not tell you is that these three unusual children are not human. Well, the first one kind of is. Um, So this story kind of follows real Norse mythology. I mean, it's been extremely well-researched. And Angerboda and Loki have three children that are basically part of a prophecy that will kind of bring forth Ragnarok, which is this event in Norse mythology. If you know anything about Vikings, you probably heard about this event. And it's basically like the end of the world and the beginning of the world. So it was the end of the old world with the gods and the beginning of a new world. So basically what happens is these three children kind of create this I don't know how what you want to call it, but they create this fear among the gods that things are going to, like, terrible things are going to happen. And the gods try to, like, guess what's going to happen. And then they end up kind of just making a mess out of everything. And the book is about the mess. So if you're familiar with the events of Ragnarok, you might be familiar with some of these things. And you might not be. I mean, a lot of this seems to be fiction. I mean, honestly, we can only guess at stories. So, but I thought it was really well written. Now, I decided to rate this book four stars. And the reason I rated it four stars was because it was so slow to begin with. But it does pick up. And when it does pick up, I do think that it's good. I feel like the plot line in this one is not really there. I mean, there is a plot, but it's not anything like... You know, it's not driven by the plot line like the Book of Gothel is. So this particular book is more character development, mythology, stories. So if you're into that thing, I do think that it is good. As I said, I'm not a fantasy reader, and this one is fantasy. So I definitely think that it could be something that you might enjoy if you're not a reader of fantasy. I do think that it is pretty highly rated on Goodreads. Okay, so this one has 31,000 ratings and 5,000 reviews, and the average is four stars. So I would say that that's pretty good. Again, that is so much more traffic than the Book of Gothel, which makes me so sad because I love that book. I've been literally recommending it to everyone since I read it, and it's so good. It is so good. But anyway, we're going to move on from the fantasy and let me take a short break and then let's talk about some killers and murder and assassins. All right, so let's talk about some thrillers. Now, I want to start this off with 
the thriller that I read in August, and that is Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayborn. Now, I got this book as an advanced review copy. It was sent to me by Berkeley Publishing, and it was a first edition. So thank you, Berkeley Publishing, for that because it's kind of crazy. I don't I don't think I've ever gotten a first edition in the mail. I mean, advanced review copies usually come with some kind of sticker or marking on them to tell you that they're a review copy, and that makes them kind of a little bit less special than a first edition, at least in my opinion. So this book was pretty exciting to get in the mail. Um, it was, you know, actually, fun fact, it was the first physical book that I've ever gotten in the mail. Most of the books that I review before their publication dates, I review through NetGalley. So NetGalley is pretty much this website where you can go online and you can request books from publishers and they're sent basically to uh, e-document, which you can bring up on your Kindle or your iPad or however you want to read it. However, the physical books are always better, and I am so thankful that the publishers are finally starting to see that I love reviewing, and I am so excited to get books in the mail. So moving on, I want to talk about this book, Killers of a Certain Age. Now, this is another book that I came across through book pages, through that magazine I was talking about. So honestly, if you don't follow that magazine, you should, because I'm finding that a lot of the trending books are in that magazine before they're released. So something really interesting from this one, Killers of a Certain Age is about assassins, but they're 60 years old. And you've probably heard about this book because it has been trending everywhere. But if you haven't, let me tell you about it. So basically, Killers of a Certain Age is about four women who are in their 60s. They're on the verge of retirement. They're on this retirement cruise that their organization sent them on. And basically, they find out that their organization is trying to kill them. And no one seems to really appreciate them and all the work that they've put in. So on their all-expense vacation, they have um, this other younger assassin that comes on board and he's trying to kill them. And they kind of have to figure out why and what happened because they were supposed to retire and be peaceful and get a pension. And now that's not going to happen. So they end up kind of traveling all over, relying on each other. They don't have any more of the resources that they had when they were assassins. So they kind of have to use the skills that they do have already to outsmart the organization that trained them. So I feel like this book was really interesting in a lot of ways. I think the premise was very unique. I haven't heard a lot of books like this, but I do find that the older protagonists are trending right now. And I'm not really sure why, but I've noticed like the Thursday Murder Club, Killers of a Certain Age. Um, what was the one that I just saw? Oh, I just picked up one not that long ago. Oh, I can't remember what it was. But, you know, there's the TV show Only Murders in the Building. Older older murderers or older people involved in crime. Oh, was it the fortune, the fortune, the last fortune club or something like that? Oh boy. I'm going to have to look that up. But basically, um, I don't know why, but older protagonists are trending right now and I'm kind of here for it. I feel like these are the voices that we don't get to hear often enough. Now, the thing about this book that I thought wasn't great 
let me say it that way. Um, the thing that I wasn't super impressed by was the tone of voice. Now, there are a lot of references to aging women. Um, we have references to menopause. We have references to fun apps. We have references to hot flashes and aging bones. But even with all those references, it felt like this was written by a younger person. And I think that's what bothered me. Now, earlier this year, I read Remarkably Bright Creatures. And that was a debut novel. It was basically about this 70-year-old woman, Tova, who works in an aquarium. And she befriends an octopus in the aquarium. And the octopus kind of helps her figure out her family situation and what happened to her son that went missing when she was much younger. So that particular book, one of the things that I most enjoyed about it was, even though the author was younger, she was able to write in this perspective of a 70-year-old woman so well that I felt like I was talking to my grandmother or, you know, one of the patrons that visits my library. It really honestly felt like a real tangible person. But the thing about killers of a certain age is that I didn't feel that. And I think part of the reason for that could have been intentional because these women are assassins. They've had a lot of training. They're supposed to feel young. But I also feel like that would take a huge toll on your body. So I really, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm really not sure. But overall, this book was a wild ride. Um, something that I found to be so interesting is that it really had a very cinematic quality to it. And it reminded me so much of an action movie. So the characters are very much like, you know, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. And if you know of her story, she basically became an assassin through this school. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. But it also kind of reminded me a lot of like quest type movies like National Treasure, where I just watched Uncharted with Tom Holland and I felt like it kind of gave me vibes like that, you know, like they're searching for something and they're competing against other people. So it really had like that action movie quality to it. And in some ways, I feel like it actually might make an even better movie than it did a book. So and then the other interesting thing about this book is that the the actual like type, I want to say, okay, so the actual format of the book. We have two points of view, but one is like third person and one is first person. So we're kind of seeing like one part from everybody's point of view. And then one part is only from the character Billy's point of view. Billy is kind of like the ringleader of these four women. So there's Billy, Mary Alice, Natalie, and Helen. And the four women, like they all have different things that they're good at. But honestly... Billy is really the only one that stands out. And I think part of that is because this is her story, but it's also their story. And I felt like like Mary Alice and Natalie and Helen kind of all blended together. Now I felt a little bit closer to Helen because we do learn a few things about Helen's past and her grief. She's a widow. Um, but I mean, most of what we learn about Mary Alice and Natalie is just like Natalie likes fashion and Mary Alice likes poison. So I don't, I don't think that we really got to see enough, enough depth, you know, I just don't think that was there. So as much as I liked it and 
as unique as the premise was. I think I would have liked to see the other main characters' points of view rather than the third-person point of view. And going from the past to the present, I don't think was as necessary as having seen those multiple points of view. So, I mean, I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm not an author. But I felt like this book just needed, like, a little extra oomph to be a five-star read. So I rated it three and a half stars. I thought it was pretty good, but overall, not my favorite. So even though I am thankful for the arc, I'm not sure how I feel about the book overall. Though I will give it credit because I am still thinking about it, and I read this book over a month now, and I still have very vivid images of what I read. So I will give it a lot of credit for that. Now, the other thriller I want to talk about that I recently read is The Last Housewife by Ashley Winstead. Now, this book also came out recently. It came out in August or the beginning of August. And I have not read anything else by Ashley Winstead. And honestly, her other books have not appealed to me. But this book, this book is interesting. Now, I don't really know what my problem is. <laughs> But I have some kind of weird fascination with cults. And ever since I read Bunny by Mona Awad, I feel like I just, like, I need a book about cults. So I ordered this book and um, I actually ordered it through the library and my coworker cataloged it. And they had said to me as they were cataloging it that it was very dark and they were surprised that it was something that I picked up. And I don't disagree with them because it is something that I would not normally pick up. It's super dark, but I'm kind of here for it. Okay, so basically in The Last Housewife, besides the cult feature, let's talk about what it's about. So Shay Evans, she recently got married within the last year to this man who lives far from her college town. Um and her best friends, and basically things aren't going as well as she had hoped. So she's sitting by her pool, and, you know, her husband has a lot of money. So she's sitting by her pool, by her fancy house, and she's listening to a podcast, and she's bored. She's supposed to be writing a book, but she hasn't written anything. She quit her job, and now she's listening to a podcast. And the podcast just so happens to be put off by a man that she knew from her childhood or podcast has been podcasted by has been written by talked about I don't know hosted by there we go hosted by ha okay anyway you, you think I would know that being a podcast host myself but anyway we're amateurs here at after the last page so <laughs> so anyway um, Shay, she isn't really happy with her life, but she doesn't know what she wants to do to change it yet. She's kind of in this limbo and she's listening to this podcast and she seems to listen to it every now and then. I don't know. She doesn't really say, but she's listening to this podcast and her friend Jamie says that her college best friend, Laurel, has disappeared and it looked like a suicide when they found her. However, Shay knows Laurel, and she knows that Laurel would not have committed suicide. It just wasn't her. So she feels like she has to go back to New York to find out what happened to her best friend. She hasn't seen her friend in, I think, like, 
eight to 10 years, somewhere around there. Um, and you would think that they would have been better friends, like, if she's going all the way back to New York, or, like, they would have talked at any point during that 10 years. But no, they haven't. So leaving her Texas suburb, she goes to New York, and she meets up with this true crime podcaster, and she kind of begins to suspect that the past that she experienced in New York that she thought that she buried is going to come back to life. And she's not wrong. So together, she has to help this true crime podcaster, Jamie, and she has to dig up, literally, her past, which was a cult. So her and this girl were in a cult together. And another girl, too. So she's following the threads of her past and also the present of her friend's life. So she's following what happened to her friend and then also what happened to both of them in their past. And then she's kind of pulled back into this dark world. There's wealth and privilege. There's a lot of philosophy and there's a lot of talk about women. And I think to me that was the most interesting aspect of this book was the view on women from different perspectives. Now, this book gave me serious Handmaid's Tale vibes um, for some of the things that happened in it. And I really appreciated getting to see this perspective of women who disappeared, but also women that have fallen prey to wanting to disappear. So it kind of talks about sex trafficking and it delves into some very, very deep topics So if you have any kind of triggers or you don't like books with content warnings, do not pick up this book. The first page is a content warning. So, you know, I would definitely, definitely recommend kind of looking into it a little bit more if you're unsure about content. But um, something that I found interesting about the format of this book is that part of it is written about the story and part of it are interviews with Shay and Jamie. So Jamie asks Shay questions and Shay answers with different details from her past. And I actually really enjoyed the interview aspect of the book, but I did feel like it draws you out of the story a lot. And I think because of that, at times the plot line seemed very slow and at other times the plot line seemed really fast. So I don't know, like, sometimes I would read, like, 50 pages, and I'd put it down, and then other times I could sit there and read 100 pages and be like, oh my gosh, I could keep reading, you know? So I felt like that was definitely problematic, and I also didn't like that the main character was kind of unreliable as a narrator because she was so close to the story, and she doesn't really let the reader in on what's happening. At times, it kind of felt more like Shay's story than Laurel's story. And the book is publicized as being Laurel's story. So I think that overall, I think that this book became a little bit forgettable because a lot of details are lost in the translation between the podcast transcripts and the actual story itself. So it was a decent thriller, but it's definitely not my favorite one that I've read, though I did enjoy the cult kind of plot line that it goes through. 
I I still am thinking about this book and I still am unsure what I think about it. And in some ways I think that that's a good thing. And I do like when I'm still thinking about a book a little while later. So on that note, let's move on to the next thriller. And that is When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Medoff. Now, this book, I've also never read anything by this author, and this book was also published in August. This was published at the beginning of August. Now, this was my book of the month pick for August, and I haven't seen too much about this book, actually, which surprises me because it was really, really an interesting story, and it's definitely one that I feel like probably could gain a lot of traction because of its unique premise. So... Basically, the story with this one is that the book is about a rapist or an accused rapist. So the entire book is told from the point of view of his sister. So this person that is an accused rapist, his name is Billy, and he is a junior in Princeton. And, you know, he's he's a very studious guy. He's you know, the upscale, rich, white boy that is at an Ivy League college. And he kind of falls prey to this accusation. And that's what this is about. It's about falling prey to the accusation. So the entire family is kind of taken aback. This isn't the Billy that they know. This isn't the Billy that they love. So it must be false, right? Well, that's what Cassie, his sister, is trying to find out. She wants to know what in the world is going on and why. I'm going to sneeze. Thank you. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Sorry for that. It is allergy season. Happy October. <laughs> so anyway, so Cassie is trying to find out why he's being accused of rape. Now, the caveat here is that Billy is being accused by his ex-girlfriend who apparently is crazy. So... You know, he has, there's a lot of legal stuff here. This is definitely like a legal drama. Um, so we have the sex offender profile. We have his sister who fits the rich girl profile, but she kind of lives somewhere else and doesn't want to fit into that, that type of the family. And to be honest, she's adopted, which we don't learn about until... No, actually, I think we do learn about it in, like, the first chapter. So, she's adopted, and she kind of, like, is part of the family, but is also not part of the family. So, she's biased, but also unbiased. And it's kind of such a weird perspective. And I definitely think that that makes the first couple of chapters, like, the first portion of the book, kind of a little bit difficult to get into. But, man, once I got to know this book, it was it was something else. There is a twist in this book, and obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but the twist in this book was so unexpected, and I am so good at guessing twists. Like, I would say 90% of the time, I will get the twist from the thriller before the thriller tells you what it is, and I did not get this one. So, to be in that 10% that I did not get, I was pretty excited by that. I decided to rate this book three and a half stars to four stars. I couldn't really decide, but I did think it was good. I didn't like the format of the book. I felt like the margins were weird, but I also really like like stereotypical margins, stereotypical size book. So um, yeah, that's what I would say about that. 
So as far as thrillers go, out of those three, I think my favorite was probably that last one when we were bright and beautiful. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed all three of these thrillers. So instead, let's move on. And I want to talk about the romances that I've read. So let's talk about those. Now I'm going to take a short break and then we're going to talk about romance books. So let's talk about romances. Surprisingly, I have not read that many romances lately. And actually, looking at my Goodreads, I have read one, two, honestly, I've only read three romances since mid-August. And that is like nothing for me. I typically read every other book as a romance. Most of my favorite authors are romance novelists. So this is kind of like a weird time for me. And I really attribute that to my book slump. So I think for whatever reason that has to do with romances and branching out to these fantasy books and thrillers and things like that kind of has to do with that book slump. So as far as romances go, I don't have a lot to talk about this month, but it's okay. I do have a little bit. So the first one that I've read that I do want to talk about is The Flat Chair by Beth O'Leary. This book is so highly recommended. So it has over 276,000 ratings and 32,000 reviews on Goodreads, which is a lot for a romance novel. And this book in average is rated four stars. However, I rated, okay, so I got this book out from the library and I'm glad that I did because I would not have spent my money on this book. The premise here is that, okay, so Tiffy and Leon are our two main characters. And Tiffy is looking for a place to live after she breaks up with her, well, her ex-boyfriend breaks up with her. Um, so they're on and off again all the time. He comes home one day with a woman and he's like, hey, I'm breaking up with you because I'm in love with this woman. And she's absolutely devastated. So she tries to keep living in their apartment because she's poor and she doesn't know where else to go. And she lives in London and it's expensive. But her ex pretty much kicks her out and says you need to find a new place asap because i'm moving in with my new lady and heartbroken she doesn't know what to do she doesn't have a lot of money so she goes to the newspapers and the ads and she finds leon now leon works nights and he needs cash and at first we don't really know why so he only has a one bedroom flat but because he works nights his idea is that he can get some extra money by renting out the flat to somebody else and then he'll sleep there during the day she'll sleep there during the night and then they'll never see each other and it'll work out perfectly right well their friends both think they're crazy but realistically the two of them think that it's a good solution but with obsessive with the obsessive ex-boyfriend and then demanding clients and also a wrongly imprisoned brother and the fact that they go like three months without meeting each other, they kind of end up having this really unique friendship. This is definitely a friends to lovers read. Um, but it's interesting because the friendship isn't even in person. It's all through sticky notes. So they basically communicate entirely through sticky notes. Tiffy is a publisher or she works for a publisher and Leon works in a hospital with children 
it's really a unique situation overall. And I think that that premise was good. I think it had the potential to be really good. And let me start off by saying that this is my first Beth O'Leary book. So I'm not biased in any way. It's the first book I've ever read from her. I've seen this book a lot on Book Talk. So let me share my thoughts. And I'm going to start this off by saying I am so tired of Book Talk books. I don't know why. I keep picking up these books that people tell me are good on Book Talk. And then I end up hating them. And I don't know if I'm just like on the wrong side of Book Talk. Or maybe I'm in the minority. Like, maybe people do like these books. I'm not really sure. But I just, I really did not like this book. And I don't want to say I hated it because I did finish it. And it wasn't terrible. You know, there are books that I have hated. I hated Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. And I've shared that in a previous podcast episode that I absolutely did not like that book. And I don't understand the hype of that book. But this book, I mean, I could see people who like Slow Burn liking it. But I do not like Slow Burn, and I don't like Friends to Lovers. So why did I pick up this book? I'm not really sure. But this was one of the slowest romances I have ever read. So if you're, like, obsessed with Slow Burn, you might enjoy it. But there wasn't much burn. I mean, they weren't even in the same room until three quarters into the book. So there was a lot about their personal growth, and I feel like that was good. But I needed more. I didn't want to read so much about each of their stories. I wanted to read more about their romance. And I just, I honestly felt like this book was too long. It was really forgettable. It was like 400 pages and it could have been done in 200. And I really don't like books like that. I just, I didn't connect with either one of these characters. And I think it's interesting because they're now making this into like a movie or a TV show. I think it's a movie. I'm not really sure, but it's going to be on one of the streaming services, I think. And I'm not I'm not really sure of the following behind this. Like I don't get it. And I saw the picture, like the poster for the movie, and in the movie poster, the woman that is supposed to play Tiffy is super thin and pretty. And my understanding anyway from the book itself is that Tiffy is very clearly mid-size or plus-size. And she constantly is referencing that. And she has a lot of body dysmorphia and thoughts about her body. And she tries to be body positive even after having these thoughts. And it's a big part of the book, especially with the romance coming later in the book. So I'm just not sure if I see how this is going to be adapted. And honestly, I'm curious to watch the movie because, you know, maybe the romance will be more at a forefront than it was in the book. And I have a feeling that the adaptation is going to be very different than what I've read. So that being said, I rated the flat share two stars. I did finish it reluctantly. And I do think it got a little bit better towards the end, but it was not my favorite romance by any means. Now I do have Beth O'Leary's The Road Trip as well. I ordered it from Book Outlet like two months ago when they had their $5.99 sale. So I am going to try it, and I am going to see if maybe it was just the flat share that I didn't like. I don't really love the friends to lovers thing, and the road trip is supposed to be enemies to lovers, which is definitely more my speed. So I think it's worth trying. So I am going to try another book. I always try to give an author a second chance because, honestly, all books are different. Some authors write different genres. So even if I didn't like the first book, I'll definitely try and give them a second shot. 
So speaking of second shots, let's talk about Evie Dunmore. If you're not familiar with Evie Dunmore, she is the queen of modern historical romance. And she is my favorite historical romance writer. I absolutely love her. And I've only ever read one of her books. And the reason why. Okay. So last year, I read Portrait of a Scotsman by Evie Dunmore. And I got it from Book of the Month. And... I wasn't sure I was going to like it. And then I ended up loving it. It was fantastic. Like it definitely gave me like written by Charles Dickens vibes, which I feel like I shouldn't say because you can't compare a modern book to a classic. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, it really felt like it was written by like an old man in the 1800s, but it was modernized. Like she gave us suffragists and, you know, modern women and, equality. And these are things that, you know, they didn't exist in the 1800s, not really. But deep down, women were thinking it. So being able to see a woman's perspective there, I mean, it was really special. So the thing about Portrait of Scotsman is it kind of, it's about a Scotsman and an English woman. And they are enemies to lovers. They fall in love unexpectedly. They're not really suited for each other, but they end up being like super spicy and a perfect pair for each other. So ironically, I loved that book. So I was never going to read another Evie Dunmore book again. I was done. That's all I was ever going to read by her. And well, that didn't happen, did it? See, the thing was, is I kept seeing bringing down the Duke on the book of the month page and I couldn't avoid it any longer. I had a hankering for historical romance. So I ordered it and I read it and I rated it four stars. So let me tell you about it. So basically, Evie Dunmore's books are part of a series. There's three of them. A League of Extraordinary Women is the series, and Bringing Down the Duke is the first book, which is her debut novel. Portrait of a Scotsman, I believe, is her third book, and then there's a second one in between, and that one is about Lucy, which is kind of the leader of the suffragist movement in the book series. So let me see if I can figure out what that one is called. Okay, let's see. So it's Lucy and Tristan's story, and it does not say what it's called in this book. It just says excerpt. So you're going to have to look that one up for yourself, but it's the second book. So the one that I read is her first book, Bringing Down the Dupe, and this book is about Annabelle. Now, Annabelle Archer is basically a destitute woman, and she kind of believes that she's never going to marry and she's working kind of as like a governess slash maid for what I think is her family. She calls them her family, but they're not really her family. Um, so she kind of has this opportunity for a scholarship to go to Oxford. Now, Oxford has just started supporting women and allowing women to study. So the caveat of the scholarship is that she kind of has to support the women's suffrage movement. And as part of that, she has to recruit men of influence to champion their cause. 
Now, the problem with that is that she doesn't look the part. She doesn't wear the clothes. She's a blue stocking. So how is she going to get men on her side? Well, she doesn't really know. But she's canvassing the streets with one of the other girls. And she sees a man who looks like he's of influence. And she approaches him. But little does she know that he is a duke. He is the duke. The one who talks to the queen. And... He is definitely not in the liberal party. So not only does she have to win him over, but they kind of get romantic feelings for each other. And he, well, he wants to sleep with her. She wants to sleep with him, but they're not married. He can't marry her because she's not born in the right place. But she is pretty and she could be turned into a wife if he wanted her to. So basically, it's like this whole back and forth of she's not mistress material, but he wants her to be his mistress. And it's kind of enemies to lovers, but not really, because they're never really enemies. They're just in a very bleak society. So I did enjoy this book. I rated it four stars. I don't think it was as good as Portrait of a Scotsman, even though that's technically the third book in these in the series. Each of these books can be read independently. And I actually would recommend Portrait of a Scotsman over Bringing Down the Duke, although I did enjoy them both. So if you like historical romance, I do think that Bringing Down the Duke is a good option, but I liked Portrait of a Scotsman more. So on that note, I want to talk about a couple of books of genre fiction before we finish up for the day. So let me take a short break and then we'll get started talking about those. So I have two books to talk about for the genre fiction category. Neither one of these books are really genre fiction. One is horror, and I don't even know what the other one is. Um, it's not really classified as anything in particular, but I want to talk about it. So we're going to call it genre fiction. <laughs> um, the first one I want to talk about is The Nightcrawling Book by Layla Motley. So, Nightcrawling is a debut novel. Layla Motley is a young writer, but this is anything but YA. Definitely not YA. So, Layla Motley is the 2018 Oakland Youth Poet Laureate. Her work has been featured in the New York Times and Oprah Daily. Now, this book was also chosen for Oprah's Book Club. So, Layla was born and raised in Oakland, where she continues to live, and Nightcrawling is her first novel. My understanding is that she wrote this. She started writing it when she was 16, I think. So it is written by a young person. But she certainly, her writing style is much beyond her years. However, um, I DNF'd this book. I stopped reading it at page 167. And the book overall is about 270 pages. So I had 100 pages left. But... I could not take it anymore. And let me tell you why. So Nightcrawling is trending right now. Um, it's basically about this main character, Kiara. And Kiara and her brother Marcus are basically scraping by in a small apartment in Oakland. And they live next door to her sister, their sister, and her son, which is Kiara's nephew. And they're all very, very poor. Um, Kiara and Marcus have both dropped out of high school, and their family has been fractured by death in prison. 
But Marcus kind of wants to be like this star rapper. He's inspired by their uncle who somehow made it big and he doesn't want to work. And Kiara is kind of hunting for anything to be able to pay their rent because if not, they're going to be homeless and their rent has doubled due to gentrification. And all the while, she's trying to keep her nine-year-old nephew abandoned by his mother safe and fed in the apartment next door. So one night she kind of goes out and she meets a drunken stranger at a strip club and it's a misunderstanding. He thinks that she is, well, what she calls a night crawler and she is not, but she doesn't know how else to make money. She doesn't have even a high school degree and she doesn't really know where to go from there. So she kind of breaks into this world And what she finds is that the entire Oakland Police Department are getting their hands dirty. So I thought that this book would be more of a thriller. And I think it certainly is publicized as one, at least from what I have seen of it. You know, the cover is very bright. It's a very neon, corally orange. And it... I don't know. Her hair kind of looks like an octopus to me for whatever reason. Like it has like all these different tendrils that are all floating on the cover. If you haven't seen this cover, it is like very memorable. So the thing that kind of got me about this book is that I just, I kind of expected her to somehow like be this huge part of this investigation and that it was going to, you know, be very plot line driven. And it is not. In fact, the plot line is like, there's not a lot there. And I have to say, Layla Motley's writing style is very impressive for as young as she is. I feel like she is an excellent writer. You can see that she is a poet and her writing is very lyrical. But beyond that, it almost feels like she's trying too hard to write lyrical prose and not spending enough time developing the plot lines. And that was something that truly bothered me because I think a plot is central to a book. Because I DNF'd Nightcrawling, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't honestly know what happened in the last 100 pages. But truly, after reading the first 167 pages, I don't feel like there's much more that I could have missed um, unless it picks up significantly. I just feel like there were a lot of plot holes. This book did not have near enough of the structure that it needed. And I feel like with these lyrical books... Sometimes they can be huge hits, and sometimes they can be huge flops. Now, an example of a huge hit, Agatha of Little Neon by Claire Luchette. That's a debut novel I read earlier this year. It's short, like Nightcrawling is, and it's about four nuns, and it is really an interesting book, and it's extremely lyrical. The chapters are short, definitely written in that same type of tone. But it had so much character development, even where the plotline was lacking. There was so much there, especially in between the lines. And I just did not get that from Nightcrawling. I didn't love it. And honestly, I struggled to understand what the point of it was. And I think part of it is just that I'm not the intended audience for this book. And I think sometimes things that can be frustrating to me is that It can be very alienating when a Black or POC writer um, is specifically targeting a specific audience. 
And I feel like that is what this book is. It was targeting an impoverished audience, an Oakland audience, and maybe even a Black audience. I don't know. Um, However, I have read many, many other books, many other books with tons of different ethnic backgrounds that I have loved, like Pachinko or Take My Hand. I read both of those books this year and they were fabulous. And I did not feel as disconnected from them as I did with Nightcrawling. So even though maybe I wasn't the intended audience, I still think that this book needed more than it gave. And I'm not really sure that I understand the high reviews. I mean, this book has over four stars, not quite five, not quite four and a half. So I would say like, four and a quarter stars on Goodreads. And that's out of 11,000 ratings, which, you know, it's not really that many ratings overall compared to some other books. But I do see this book hyped up a lot. And I'm wondering why people love it. I'm wondering if it's like one of those books that people say that they love, but do they really love it? And if so, why? If you love this book, I want to know why. Why did it appeal to you? What did you like about it? What am I missing? Because I feel like I'm missing something. I just felt like there wasn't enough depth. There wasn't enough emotion. And in order for this book to be a success for me, I think it needed that. But it also needed something more with the plot line. The plot line just was really dry for me. So I DNF'd this book. I did not finish it. However, I did leave my bookmark in it because I might come back to it. You know, I often find that when I DNF books or if I struggle reading a book, sometimes I'm just not in the moment to read that book or I'm not in the right mindset and maybe I need to grow and come back to it. And that could very possibly be the reason that I did not connect with this book right now, but I might connect with it in the future. So I'm going to put it to the side. I'm going to put it back on my bookshelf, but I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm going to leave that bookmark in there. And I'm going to listen to some of your feedback and see why you guys love this book or if you agree with me, because I want to know. The last book I want to talk about today is one that I recently read, actually just last week. And this book, this book I have not heard about anywhere. And this is The Saturday Night Ghost Club by Craig Davidson. I literally have never seen this book before in my life. However... I was shelf reading at work at the library and I came across this book and I thought it would be good for our October display. We're doing like Halloween spooky books. And I was like, okay, Ghost Club, that's spooky, right? So I read the first, the first couple of sentences and let me start you off there and then you'll see why I picked this book up. So the first chapter is called Monsters, and let me read you the first paragraph. Most people believe the human brain is solid. They imagine a loaf of bread soaked in gelatin. You can hack off quivering slices, same as you would with the jello mold at a family picnic. But the truth is, the brain's texture is more like toothpaste. Brain matter will squeeze through a keyhole. I'm not kidding. This is the first paragraph. Page one. So... Um, this book is told from an adult's perspective, and he is a brain surgeon, clearly. Um, but this book is so much more than supernatural. 
I would consider this book to be horror, but it definitely is also within that same emotional category as a book like Nightcrawling. There is definitely some dark matter to this book, but a lot of it is emotional dark matter, not necessarily ghosts and supernatural, even though there are some of those in it too. Now, if you love Stranger Things, like I do, this is a book for you. This book was written in 2019. I want to say 2019. But it takes place in the 1980s. And it kind of takes place around Niagara Falls between the border of like Buffalo, New York and Canada. And the main character, Jake, is around 12 years old and he's living in Canada. And he basically spends most of his summer with his Uncle Calvin. And his Uncle Calvin runs this shop called the Occultarium. I think it's pronounced Occultarium. Basically, it's the store for occult artifacts and conspiracy theories and eccentricities, right? And he's with his uncle one day in the shop, and this young boy comes in about his age, and his name is Billy. And the two become friends, and Billy is looking for a way to contact his grandmother who recently died. So they supposedly contact the grandmother through, like, this phone that they found in the basement, and all they really get is static, but it kind of inspires them to start this Saturday night club that they start calling this Saturday Night Ghost Club. So the three of them, the uncle and the two boys, kind of get into this thing where every Saturday night they travel around town and look for ghosts. So the boys think of this as like a fun, scary adventure, and things are a little bit different for Uncle Calvin. So I don't want to spoil what happens here, but this is a coming-of-age story where the main character, Jake, learns that the perspective from an adult is very different than the perspective of a kid. And he's telling this as an adult. And he's kind of telling about the summer where he grew up. The summer that he had to emotionally mature. And I find this book to be very reminiscent of Stranger Things. Of them, you know, like riding their bikes through the streets. And having to be adults sometimes when they don't really feel like adults. And having to deal with scary things. But it also deals a lot with grief and heartbreak, and a lot of really heavy topics. Now, there are supernatural aspects in here. There are ghosts, but that is not the forefront of this story. So if you have trigger warnings, especially with grief, I would not recommend this book. However, if you don't have content warnings that you're worried about, I did really enjoy this book. Now, the format of this book is very short. The whole book is barely 200 pages, and it's kind of written almost in like a short story format, and my understanding is Craig Davidson is a short story writer, so even though this book is not a short story, the format is very reminiscent of his style. So the the format with this one basically is each chapter, I don't know how many chapters there are, let me look. Um... There, there is not a table of contents, is there? There never is when you need one. Okay, let's see. There are seven chapters in the entirety of the book, which is not a lot. And then each chapter is also broken up into pieces that are labeled by number, like Roman numeral numbers. So 
it's a very easy, quick read, but it's also a very difficult, sad, devastating, dark read. But I think it really would be perfect for October. And I'm glad that I read it because even though it wasn't my favorite book that I've read, I did really respect it. And I think the the representation of Uncle Calvin and grief in general is very, very good. So I would recommend it. I did rate this book four stars. I felt like it needed something more for me. I'm not really sure what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But overall, I just felt like it wasn't my favorite thing that I've read. And it might just be me. Um, But like Nightcrawling, I felt like I didn't emotionally connect to this book. But I did enjoy it. So I do, I do want to add that aspect to it. If you do read this book, please tell me if you connected with it. I want to know. And if you read any of the books that I talked about today, really do please go and email me. Check out my blog, afterthelastpage.com, or you can email me at Jackie at afterthelastpage.com. That's J-A-C-K-I-E at afterthelastpage.com. And let me know what you thought about some of these books. Honestly, I would love to start a conversation. I feel like I don't get enough people who email me talking about books. And that's why I do this. I love to talk about what I read. I want to share my thoughts and my feelings. And I want to know your thoughts and feelings. I want to know if you disagree with me. I want to have a great educated conversation. And that's what After the Last Page is really about. So if you have read any of his books, please do reach out. I really would like to hear from you. And if you are curious about what else I'm reading, be sure to follow and subscribe at afterthelastpage.com. I post new book reviews every single week, and I also post blog posts as well. And October is Blogtober. I swear I did not make that up. Someone else on Pinterest did. But <laughs> I am posting extra to try and gain more traffic during the month of October and meet new subscribers. So if you are interested in bookish content, be sure to subscribe because I'll be posting all kinds of new things through the month of October. And that concludes this week's episode of After the Last Page. Now, things are going to be a little bit different because I've talked about so many books recently. So stay tuned. The next episode will be coming soon, but it may not be next week like previous episodes have been. I hope you all have a great week and I will catch up with you guys soon. Happy reading.